Uh, we're going to begin a new series tonight in First uh, John, and we're going to be looking at the times when John addressed his little children and some things that little children then need to know. And uh, it shouldn't perhaps surprise us, but the first thing that uh, John brings up that little children need to know about is they need to know about sin. First John chapter 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The Apostle John is the author of this book. He's certainly qualified to write to things about uh, that God wanted his little children to know about. Uh, John was one of the first apostles that Jesus called. And now he's the last one of them left alive. I realize tonight that there are those in the religious world who believe in something called apostolic succession. That is, they believe there are still apostles. But when you look at the biblical qualifications that are mentioned for them in Acts chapter 1, one of the things was that they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord Jesus. And uh, so when John died, he was the last of the apostles. And the apostolic era of the New Testament was finished. They had special gifts and special responsibilities. And John is calling on those as he is acting as a faithful shepherd, warning people, instructing people in these last epistles that he wrote. He wrote his gospel with a very specific purpose. In John chapter 20 and verse 31, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. John wrote his gospel so that people would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He wrote his epistle with a different purpose. It is also clearly stated, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. Every time I read that passage, I have to say I'm a, just a little bit envious of their privilege to have seen Jesus, heard His voice. But you also, though, He says, may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So that while we might envy John and his close personal fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, yet in this epistle, he is inviting us to have fellowship with Jesus as well. I want you to have the kind of fellowship with him that I have so that we're, we can fellowship one with another. So while he wrote his gospel so that we might have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he wrote this epistle so that we can have fellowship with Jesus. We know this story all too well. You see, it's possible to be born into a family and then to have family relations within that family. It is possible, though, to have a relationship without fellowship. 
I'm here tonight to tell you that we have been born again into God's forever family. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 says that we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Are you saved tonight? You're a child of the King. You're in God's forever family. You have a relationship with God. God is your father. You're his child. And that relationship is an eternal relationship. But just because we have relationship with God is no guarantee that we have fellowship with God. If we have a breach in our fellowship with the Lord, if there is a distance between us and him, it is not because he has left us or abandoned us. He promised us he wouldn't. I will never leave you, Jesus said, nor forsake you. So if there is a distance that is created in our fellowship with God, it is not that God has abandoned us. The fault is on our end. John writes then to his little children, and he is giving them, and throughout, in a way, this whole series of messages, we'll see this again and again. In a way, he is speaking to them about the things that will help them maintain their fellowship with God, warning them about the things that might pull them away or create distance in that fellowship. So this overarching purpose that he identifies in his epistle, I'm writing this so that you can have fellowship with us, so that the fellowship that I enjoy with God, and he enjoyed with the Lord Jesus, he wants us to join him in that fellowship. And it's not surprising then that he's going to write to his little children about the reality of sin and how that sin then affects our fellowship with God. My years as a pastor, I've noticed, and I've also realized that it's possible even in my own life, for a person to be absolutely sure that they have eternal life, to be absolutely certain that they have a relationship with God. And let me just quickly add to you tonight that if you're not certain about your relationship with God, you can be. Because you see, the Bible tells us that we can know that we have eternal life. And that's one thing that we must be absolutely certain of, that we have eternal life. But there's a lot of people who know they are sure about their salvation. They can go back to that time when they received Jesus Christ as their Savior. They felt the joy of sin forgiven. And yet even though they know they're going to heaven, they're not enjoying the trip. They're on their way. They know it. Something's happened. They aren't enjoying the trip. I remember one time as a child, we loaded up early. Early, my dad believed in getting an early start. He wanted to get every minute out of vacation that we could get. I'm not sure what time we left, but all I can say is it was way, way before daylight. Our destination was Midland, Texas. We had a 1972 Galaxy 500, which doesn't amount to anything. I'm just telling you, that's what we had. Big old muscle car, 1972 Galaxy 500. I went to Midland, Texas, sandwiched in between my sister on one side and my brother on the other side. I knew where I was going, but I did not enjoy the trip. You ever been there? 
You can know you're going to heaven. You're on your way and you know it. I want to ask you tonight, are you enjoying the trip? God wants us to enjoy the trip. And the only way we can enjoy the trip is if we're in fellowship with the Lord. Me and my brother and sister loved each other, but after forever in the back of a 1972 Galaxy 500 pickup car, we were not in good fellowship. Makes for an awfully miserable trip. God's little children, then, very first thing that he says, we need to know about sin. We might think that we know enough about sin already. Unfortunately, what we know about sin, we know from this side. We are going to learn about it from God's side tonight. The first thing, then, that he tells us is don't sin. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Pretty simple, isn't it? Right, uh, right up front, very directly. The, things, uh, the territory of the things that we need to know about sin. We need to know not to do it. We're pointed back to the things that he has said. These things, he says, I write to you. So there are some things that he had said before this. And he wants them to know then, these things I write unto you that you sin not. So our responsibility tonight is to consider what are these things. And there were three of them in the preceding verses in chapter 1. Three specific things that he had brought up to them that were designed to keep them from sinning. And the first one is in verse 5. This is a message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's actually a double negative in that passage in Greek. In him is no darkness, none at all. None at all. It's done for the sake of emphasis. There's no darkness in God. None at all. And so the first truth that we need to, that he had given us, the first of these things, is the understanding that God is a no darkness kind of light. There's not a shadow with him. Uh, folks, we live in a darkening world. And one of the reasons for that is that so many things are being blurred down into a gray, some kind of a gray area. We know what it's like to enter into that gray area of morality. Well, you know, it's, is it really that? God is a no darkness kind of God. It is light or it is dark. God is light and there's no darkness in Him at all. So if we choose then as God's children to enter into the darkness of sin, what happens? Do we lose our relationship with God? No. There's not a shred of that in this text at all. It's not what he's talking to us about. Remember, he's talking to us about as his little children. We are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. What does he talk to us about that we do lose when we enter into the darkness of sin. We lose our fellowship with God. And that makes perfect sense if you think about it because if God has no darkness in Him at all, 
That means that if we're sinning, God can't. God has no capacity to fellowship with us while we're sinning. He can't join in with it. He's not going to enjoy it. There's nothing about God that will allow Him to continue to fellowship with us if we choose to walk in the darkness. That's why John goes on in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. And so the very first of these things that John brings up in this passage so that we may not sin as God's little children is that we need to understand that when we sin, we lose our fellowship with God. We don't need to sin because God has no capacity to fellowship with us in our sin. Second of these things, then, is that, unfortunately, our salvation does not stop us from sinning. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I wish I could tell you tonight that once you're saved, you'll never sin again. I wish I could say that. But that is not the truth of your experience. It's not the truth of my experience. But more importantly, our experience is not the final word. It is not the truth revealed to us in the Word of God. Did not put this in our uh, PowerPoint tonight. I'm just going to refer to you quickly to Romans chapter 7 for you to study out on your own time. Read it. Not now. When you go home, read about Romans chapter 7. And in that passage, Paul is going to describe the Apostle Paul. Yeah, that guy. And he's going to say this. He said, the things that I, I do are things that I don't want to do. Sometimes I do what I don't want to do. And he'll then go on and say, sometimes I don't do the things that I want to do. The things that I want to do, I, I, I can't find a way to do. I want to do them, but I can't. And he said, if I'm then doing what I don't want to do, and if I'm not doing what I do want to do, I confess then that there's something in me. And what is it? There's a law of sin, he says, that's in my memory. He'll conclude that passage by saying, Oh, wretched man, who shall deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> oh, that's a great way to end the chapter. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Yeah. So with the mind, he said, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the, the law of sin. Yeah. Romans chapter 7 is pretty plain. Uh, it's because you're saved and it's because you're an apostle. Doesn't mean you're sinless. They still struggle with sin. Now, there are people who honestly believe that they're saved, and once you're saved, you'll never sin again. But you know, the people that I have run into who believe that way have always redefined what sin is, without exception. I, I, don't, I don't sin, they'll say. You don't sin? No, I don't sin. I make a mistake every now and then. Oh, oh, I see, I see. I might make a mistake. They've redefined sin. They define sin in a way 
so that it allows them to think that way. Uh, the fact is that being saved does not take away our struggle with sin in a very real way. Listen to me carefully tonight. Being saved actually creates our battle with sin. See, before we're saved, we don't battle with sin. <laughs> we go right on and have a good old time in sin. and Not realizing, of course, that we were slaves to sin. Sin had us in bondage, and it was our master ruling over us. We didn't realize that. When we're saved, all of a sudden then, our spirit has uh, been made alive unto God and our flesh is still as bad as it ever was. See, there is coming a glorious day when our body is going to be changed. When this robe of flesh will drop and rise and seize the everlasting pride. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when we're going to have a glorified body and sin will no longer be a problem to us. And what a glorious day that's going to be. Until then, yeah. A truly saved person can make bad decisions, bad choices, and end up in bad sin. Yes. John discusses for us then in this passage the two possibilities that can go into effect at that point of time. First of all, a believer with a a sin problem can simply lie about it. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, verse 6, and walk in darkness, we lie. We lie. When we we lie, we're, we're lying to somebody. We're lying to somebody else. We don't say, maybe I never sin. That's not the kind of lie that John is talking about. But it's possible for us to be in sin and committing bad sins, maybe. Terrible, all sins are bad. But to have a sin in our life and know it. And yet we come to church and we sing about how much we love Jesus. Uh, we, we talk about... Uh, Uh, you know, how precious He is to us. But we're not feeling that at all because what we're feeling is conviction. We we sing about how happy we are in Jesus, but we're not happy. The preacher preaches and we can say amen and the singers sing and we can applaud and and people ask her how we're doing and we say, I'm fine and we ain't fine. We're not even anywhere close to fine. Didn't we have a great service? Yeah, I enjoyed it. We didn't enjoy it a bit. We was under conviction the whole time. We're lying because we have a sin problem and we know it and we're miserable. We act like we're enjoying ourselves, enjoying the service and we're miserable. But then things move along. See, it's one thing when we're lying and we know we're lying. But then after a while, John talks about how we end up, we deceive ourselves. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves. It's bad to lie, but it's bad to lie so long that you start believing your own lies. So long that you've said it's okay, when, and I'm okay, and I'm not okay, but we've said it so long that we start to believe it. It becomes almost a new normal. We're deceiving ourselves. It's bad to fool everybody else, but it's even worse when we start believing it ourselves. 
I want to tell you tonight, there is an abundance of depression and misery, emotional breakdowns of all kinds, anxieties of every form that are masquerading right now behind a mask of physical illness. When in fact what's happened is a person has started to believe their own lies. And on one level we can convince ourselves of that. We can really get to where we're believing it. But there's another part of us that knows better. And it's miserable and it surfaces in all of these things that it does to us. So we can lie about it. And then we can end up lying to ourselves. Terrible, terrible situation. Our salvation doesn't stop us from sinning. And when we then sin, then there's a possibility we may lie to ourselves and lie to everybody else about it. But then it gets worse. The third then of these things is that our sin becomes our faith. Listen to that. Our sin becomes our faith. Remember, he's talking about these things. These things I've written unto you so that you may not sin. Three things. Three of these things. Number one, our sin robs us of our fellowship with God. Number two, when we sin, we start living alive. We lie to everybody else and we end up lying to ourselves. And we lie about it so long that we end up then believing in ourselves. And then ultimately, our sin becomes our faith. If we say that we have not sinned, verse 10, we make him, that's God, a liar. And his word is not in us. We're not shaking our fist angrily at God, saying, God, you're a liar, you've lied to me. No. We don't no more say that than we say, I'm not a sinner, I've never sinned. We don't say that. But what people do over time, this doesn't happen overnight. And this is a chronic problem in America today. It's a chronic problem in our world. It can be a chronic problem in our church. It can be a chronic problem in my life and in your life when we get to the point where we choose our sin over our God, where we're saying to God, this isn't, I know you've said, I know what the Bible says. I, I know that this, you've said this is wrong. But eventually... We choose to convince ourselves, and people are doing this all over this planet today. We convince ourselves that what God said isn't right. And at that point, listen, we're believing in our sin rather than believing God. And at that point, John says, you've made God a liar. You've said that His Word is not true, and therefore, He says, His Word is not in us. Sin, then, once again, though a person is saved, yes, they sure are. Truly saved, yes. John is writing to his little children. They can choose to walk in the darkness, find themselves living a lie, and ultimately even starting to believe in the lie, believe in that sin, more than they believe in the Scriptures, more than they believe in God and His Word. No wonder, John says, these things I have written unto you so that you do 
not sin. His little children, your little children, my little children, all God's children, need to know about the reality of sin and why that we don't need to do it. Three very powerful truths that John has given them. These things I have write unto you, I write unto you so that you do not sin. But he, so that you may not sin. But he didn't stop there. He begins then to go on and talk about what to do then when we sin. But if any man sin, he says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now we'll consider that in a few moments in detail. For right now, let's just understand. I'm writing, he said, so that you may not sin, but if you do, what to do then? Since John identified three things that sin does to us so that we don't sin, and it shouldn't surprise us that he also gives us three things to do that turn this thing around for us. Left to our sin, sin, left to ourselves and to our sin, it will lead us down a predictable path of lying, of self-deception, and choosing to believe in our sin rather than believe in God's truth. So what do we do instead? First, he said, bring your sin to the light. <laughs> bring sin to light. Verse 7, 1 John chapter 1. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, there's something about the light, about bringing our sin out of the darkness into the light. Darkness is, is there because it allows us to hide and to cover it up. But when we come to God, we bring that sin that back to light. We bring it to Him. Yes, God, we have sinned. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the essence of it is we're simply bringing our sin to light. We may have made a mistake. Yes, we may have given to temptation. Yes, we may have done something that we shouldn't have done. Yes, we may have said something that we shouldn't have said. Yes, we may have walked away from the light and got in the darkness, but John immediately calls us, let's get back in the light. Let's get back in the light. I listened to a preacher this week who talked about an experience he had pastoring at a rural church near the Everglades down in Florida. And he was a young pastor, and uh, he said one of his men made, one of his deacons, in fact, made his living by gigging frogs. Now, that's hard for us to imagine, but this was years ago. They did. They, he gigged frogs every night and sold the legs. It's lucrative business. And he told his pastor, he said, you know, preacher, he said, back before I was saved, he said, it wasn't just frogs. He said, we'd get gators, too. He said, one gator skin would pay for a, a whole week's worth of living for my family. I got a chance. He said it was against the law. And he said, I'm sorry. He was a po they were poaching gators. But they had to be careful about it because if they got out there and started shooting them, the game warden would hear them. So he said, we didn't shoot them. Hang with me. There's a point to this. He said, we'd shine that light. And we kept a big old hammer under the seat. When we'd see a gator's eyes out there, 
we'd ease up to him, and he'd sit right there, blinded by that light. I'd grab that hammer and whop him right in the head, and we'd get that gator. He said, one night we saw a particularly large gator. He said, I knew it was a big one, and I was going to have to hit him hard. He said, we pulled up beside him. I had grabbed that hammer, and he said, I swung with all my might, and I missed him. And he said, I lost my balance and did a flip right off of that boat and landed straddle of that gator. That's what he said. And the preacher astonished, said, man, what'd you do then? He said, I don't know, he said, but I got back in the boat somehow without even getting wet. <laughs> That's a tall tale. No doubt, probably some truth in it. Uh, he told that story for the same reason I told it tonight. It's a really good illustration of how God's people ought to be when we find ourselves messing up and getting in sin. The thing to do is get out of it right then. The Holy Spirit is going to convict us. If you're a child of God and you get into that, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of it. You'll feel it right then, and the thing to do is stop. Get out of it. And get right back into the light. Bring it to God. And God gives you a promise, a glorious promise in this passage. If you walk in the light, then as He is in the light, you have fellowship. There's that fellowship right back. It's not like God is going to slap you away and say, I'm mad at you because of the way you've been living. No. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Oh. What a great, great passage that is. John tells us then, my little children, you need to know about sin, and this is what you need to do. I'm writing this so that you don't, but if you do, the first thing to do is get out of it. Get out of it. You may have slipped. You may have failed. You may have stumbled. You may have given in. Get out. Get back in the light, and God will cleanse you. Then God calls us to speak the truth about our sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess is from a Greek word that means to speak the same thing. To speak the same thing. It is what happens when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and we respond in agreement with Him. The Holy Spirit is, of course, holy. The Holy Spirit is also the Spirit of truth. So when He is convicting us of our sin, the response is not, well, it's not that bad. The response is not, well, I ain't the only one doing it or that everybody else is doing it. That's not the response. The response is when the Holy Spirit convicts us is to say, yes, Lord, this is indeed a sin. There is cleansing, you see, when we turn from the darkness to the light, and there is cleansing when we turn from our lies to speak the truth. It's hard to live a lie and to endure the, the pain and the suffering that comes when we believe our own lies and we start deceiving ourselves. The answer to that is to speak the truth. I have sinned. I have sinned. 
heard one preacher say something uh, years ago I've never forgotten. He said one of our problems is, is if we sin on the retail, but we confess on the wholesale. Uh, I had to think about that for a minute before I figured it out. But that's, that's what happens when, when we sin. And we, we sin, and we're sinning in a very specific way. But when we get around to confessing, we're not confessing the actual sins that we committed. We're just saying, well, Lord, you know, I'm a sinner. I'm, well, that's not speaking the same thing. Whatever the Holy Spirit is convicting us about, then we need to speak that agreement with Him. Yes, God. I sinned, and I'm sorry. It's hard to do that. But it's hard to keep on living and keep on living that lie year after year. Sometimes we see people walk away from church, and every time that happens, we feel the pain of that. But we need to understand that some people leave for a very good reason. They have chosen their sin over the truth of God's Word. They get tired of coming here night after night, week after week, and, and being convicted. They either get right or they find somewhere else to go. So, what do we do? Three things then to do about our sin is, number one, bring our sin to the light. Number two, speak the truth about our sin. Then remember, number three, who pays the price for our sins. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means he is the one who pays the price. The advocate means that he is our defense attorney. We have an advocate with the Father pleading our case when we sin. And that case is his own shed blood. He paid the price for our sins. He suffered for sins, the Bible says, the just for the unjust. When we sin, we need to remember the one who loved us enough to pay the price for our sins. I've told the story numerous times, and I'm going to tell it again tonight because I like telling it. It was a preacher, Tony Evans, down in Dallas, who I first heard tell this story, and I've heard many since. Tell the story of a lady who... Uh, lost her husband. Her husband left her. She had children. She was devastated. She had no job, but she heard about a job in another town that required her to drive for a while. She left her children with someone else, and uh, she began to drive then across the state line, actually, in order to apply for that position. The application process took longer than she got. She got the job. She was thrilled. She was rushing to get back home and she was going through a little town just right on the state line and she found herself going 70 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. And in those days, it was not uncommon that you had to actually go and appear in traffic court before they'd let you go if you were from out of state. 
this was one of those situations. So see, there she goes in traffic court in a little town. She was already in a desperate situation. She needed a job badly. There she is standing before the court. You're accused of going 70 in a 45 mile an hour zone. Ma'am, how do you plead? And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I, I didn't know I was going that fast. I'm sorry. And the judge said, well, if you're guilty, then the fine is $100. That was a lot of money back then. Please pay the court. Boom. The woman began to weep. She said, oh, Your Honor, I, I don't have the money. I can't pay that. Well, if that's the case, then you're going to have to spend three days in jail. Oh, but I can't do the time either, Your Honor. I've left my children at home. I, my husband's left me. I'm all, I've got a job. I, I'm, I'm trying to make a new life for myself. I've, I've left my children. I've got to get home. I can't, I can't pay the fine. I can't. I don't have it at all. I can't do the time. The judge did an amazing thing. He took off his judge's robe, hung it on the corner, put on his lawyer coat, walked around in front of the bar, stood beside the woman, reached in his own pocket, pulled out $100, laid it on the judge's desk, smiled at the lady, walked back around, took his lawyer coat off, put his judge's robe back on, sat down. <coughs> said, I see that the fine has been paid in full. You're free to go. Uh, Jesus Christ, your Savior and mine, did a whole lot more than that for us. He, you see, is the one we stand before. All judgment has been committed under the Son, but He is also our defense attorney, and this great passage tells us that He is the one who pays the price. We can't pay the price because we don't have it to pay, but God help us, we can't do the time because the time is eternity in hell. We can't. And we don't have to. Jesus Christ paid it for us. Amen. He took the penalty. The wages of sin is death. He suffered and bled and died in our place. Isaiah the prophet said it this way in Isaiah 53 and 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So how do we respond to that? I've often asked the question to put us back in that story. It was just a story. But imagine... The lady goes back to her home. She gets her kids. She gathers up her few belongings. She's got to go right back through that same town where that judge had paid her price. Do you think she's going to say to herself, Well, self, he let me off before. He'll let me off again. I can just drive a hundred through this town. I don't have to worry. Is she going to do that? Mm-mm. I'm not going to do that. 
But I'm going to be honest with you tonight. We live in a world full of people right now who are responding to God's grace and yes, who even respond to the grace of humanity. Well, they let me off. So what do they say? They let me loose. What do they, do? they go out and do it again. We've got a word for that. It's called depravity. Depravity. It's depraved. It's a depraved mind that looks at that kind of grace and that kind of mercy and say, hey, if somebody else is going to have to pay the price for me, then let's party. If it's my brother that's going to have to get, then fine, I'll just do it and let him go. That's a depraved response. A terrible response. And it is not the response of a child of God. We find ourselves in sin. John calls us to remember the truth. That the one who paid the price. The one who loved us enough. The one who stands before God pleading our case. And the only reason that that case is pled is because Jesus bled and died in our place. These things I write unto you, my little children, so that you do not sin. First thing on the list of the things that God wants His children to know is the truth about sin. This isn't unique to the New Testament. You can go all the way again back to the Gospel of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, where God issued that magnificent invitation. Come now, God says, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet. What is it God wants us to talk about? Though your sins be as scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Ah. The last thing we want to talk to God about is our sin, but it's the first thing He wants to talk to us about. Why? Well, we know why. Because God is light, and in Him is no darkness, none at all. And if we're going to fellowship with God, then though God knows that we're sinning, God knows, yes, He sure does, that He calls on us to come back to the light, to confess our sins, so that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and then above all, to remember who's paid the price. As long as we're in this body, folks, sin is going to be a problem to us. You know it, and so do I. God knows it too. My little children, these things I write unto you so that you don't sin. God doesn't want us to give up, give in in this battle. Say, well, I'm just tired of fighting it. I'm just going to let it go. No. Bad move. I write these things to you, my little children, so that you do not sin. Well, preacher, I'm sure you've got it all down. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I fight the battle too. 
not preaching to you tonight as somebody who has it all down and it's a big eye looking down at all of you. No, this is a battle I fight too. So does every other man and woman born again child of God on this planet. We all fight it. <laughs> the thing is, folks, we need to stay in the fight and not give in. Let's all stand together, please.